Chapter four of an essay of the shaking palsy by James Parkinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four. Proximate cause, remote causes, illustrative cases. Before making the attempt to point out the nature and cause of this disease, it is necessary to plead that it is made under quite unfavorable circumstances, unaided by previous inquiries immediately directed to this disease, and not having had the advantage in a single case of that light which anatomical examination yields, opinions and not facts can only be offered. Conjecture founded on analogy and an attentive consideration of the peculiar symptoms of the disease have been the only guides that could be obtained for this research the result of which is as it ought to be offered with hesitation supposed proximate cause a diseased state of the medulla spinalis in that part which is contained in the canal formed by the superior cervical vertebrae and extending as the disease proceeds to the medulla oblongata by the nature of the symptoms we are taught that the disease depends on some irregularity in the direction of the nervous influence by the wide range of parts which are affected that the injury is rather in the source of this influence than merely in the nerves of the parts by the situation of the parts whose actions are impaired and the order in which they become affected that the proximate cause of the disease is in the superior part of the medulla spinalis and by the absence of any injury to the senses and to the intellect that the morbid state does not extend to the encephalon uncertainty existing as to the nature of the proximate cause of this disease its remote causes must necessarily be referred to with indecision assuming however the state just mentioned as the proximate cause it may be concluded that this may be the result of injuries of the medulla itself or of the theca helping to form the canal in which it is enclosed the great degree of mobility in that portion of the spine which is formed by the superior cervical vertebrae must render it and the contained parts liable to injury from sudden distortions hence therefore may proceed inflammation of quicker or of slower progress disease of the vertebrae derangement of structure in the medulla or in its membranes thickening or even ulceration of the theca effusion of fluids etc but in no case which has been noticed has the patient recollected receiving any injury of this kind or any fixed pain in early life in these parts which might have led to the opinion that the foundation for this malady had been thus laid on the subject indeed of remote causes no satisfactory accounts has yet been obtained from any of the sufferers whilst one has attributed this affliction to indulgence in spirituous liquors and another to long lie on the damp ground the others have been unable to suggest any circumstance whatever which in their opinion could be considered as having given origin or disposed to the calamity under which they suffered cases illustrative of the nature and cause of this malady are very rare in the following case symptoms very similar are observable so far as affecting the lower extremities that the medulla spinalis was here affected and in its lower part is not to be doubted but this unfortunately was never ascertained by examination it must be however remarked that this case differed from those which have been given of this disease in the suddenness with which the symptoms appeared 
a b aged twenty-six years during a course of mercury for a venereal affection was exposed to severely inclement weather for several hours and the next morning complained of extreme pain in the back and of total inability to employ voluntarily the muscles of the lower extremities which were continually agitated with severe convulsive motions the physician who attended him employed those means which seemed best calculated to relieve him but with no beneficial effect the lower extremities were perpetually agitated with strong palpatory motions and frequently three or four times in a minute suddenly raised with great vehemence two or three feet from the ground either in a forward or oblique direction striking one limb against the other or against the chairs tables or any substance which stood in the way to check these inordinate motions no means were in the least effectual except striking the thighs forcibly during the more violent convulsions no advantage was derived from all the means which were employed during upwards of twelve months full ten years after this period the unhappy subject of this malady was casually met in the street shifting himself along seated in a chair the convulsive motions having ceased and the limbs having become totally inert and insensible to any impulse of the will it must be acknowledged that in the well-known cases described by mr potts of that kind of palsy of the lower limbs which is frequently found to accompany a curvature of the spine and in which a carious state of the vertebrae is found to exist no instructive analogy is discoverable slight convulsive motions may indeed happen in the disease proceeding from curvature of the spine but palpitating motions of the limbs such as belong to the disease here described do not appear to have been hitherto noticed while striving to determine the nature and origin of this disease it becomes necessary to give the following particulars of an interesting case of palsy occasioned by a fall attended with uncommon symptoms related by dr Mehti in the third volume of the medical observations and inquiries the subject of this case the count de lordat had the misfortune to be overturned from a pretty high and steep bank his head pitched against the top of the coach and was bent from left to right his left shoulder arm and especially his hand were considerably bruised at first he felt a good deal of pain along the left side of his neck but neither then nor at any other time had he had any faintings vomitings or giddiness on the sixth day he was let blood on account of the pain in his shoulder and the contusion on his hand which were then the only symptoms he complained of and of which he soon found himself relieved towards the beginning of the following winter he began to find a small impediment in uttering some words and his left arm appeared weaker in the following spring having suffered considerably from the severities of the winter campaign he found the difficulty in speaking and in moving his left arm considerably increased on employing the thermal waters of bourbon his speech became freer but on his return to paris the palsy was increased and the arm somewhat wasted in the beginning of the next spring he went to balleroux where he became affected with involuntary convulsive motions all over the body the left arm withered more and more a spitting began and now it was with difficulty that he uttered a few words frictions and synapisms were successively tried and an issue made by a caustic was kept open for some time without any effect 
but no mention is made of what part the issue was established in soon after this and three years and a half after the fall dr Mady first saw the patient and gives the following description of his situation a more melancholy object i never beheld the patient naturally a handsome middle-sized sanguine man of a cheerful disposition and an active mind appeared much emaciated stooping and dejected he still walked alone with a cane from one room to the other but with great difficulty and in a tottering manner his left hand and arm were much reduced and would hardly perform any motion the right was somewhat benumbed and he could scarcely lift it up to his head his saliva was continually trickling out of his mouth and he had neither the power of retaining it nor of spitting it out freely what words he still could utter were monosyllables and these came out after much struggle in a violent expiration and with such a low voice and indistinct articulation as hardly to be understood but by those who were constantly with him he fetched his breath rather hard his pulse was low but neither accelerated nor intermitting he took very little nourishment could chew and swallow no solids and even found great pain in getting down liquids milk was almost his only food his body was rather loose his urine natural his sleep good his senses and the powers of his mind unimpaired and he was attentive to and sensible of everything which was said in conversation and showed himself very desirous of joining in but was continually checked by the impediment in his speech and the difficulty which his hearers were put to happily for him he was able to read and as capable as ever of writing as he showed me by putting into my hands an account of his present situation drawn up by himself and i am informed that he spent his time to the very last in writing upon some of the most abstruse subjects this gentleman died about four years after the accident when the body was examined by dr bellet and monsieur sorbier who made the following report we first examined the muscles of the tongue which were found extenuated and of a loose texture we observed no signs of compression in the lingual and brachial nerves as high as their exit from the basis of the cranium and the vertebrae of the neck but they appeared to us more compact than they commonly are being nearly tendinous the dora mater was in a sound state but the piha mater was full of blood and lymph on it several hydadids and towards the phalanx some marks of suppuration were observed the ventricles were filled with water and the plexus choroitis was considerably enlarged and stuffed with grumous blood the cortical surface of the brain appeared much browner than usual but neither the medullary part nor cerebellum were impaired we chiefly took notice of the medulla oblongata that was greatly enlarged surpassing the usual side by more than one-third it was likewise more compact the membranes which in their continuation enclosed the spinal marrow were so tough that we found great difficulty in cutting through them and we observed this to be the cause of the tendinous texture of the cervical nerves the marrow itself had acquired such solidity as to elude the pressure of our fingers it resisted as a callous body and could not be bruised this hardness was observed all along the vertebrae of the neck but lessened by degrees and was not near so considerable in the vertebrae of the thorax though the patient was but nine and thirty years old the cartilages of the sternum were ossified 
and required as much labor to cut them asunder as the ribs like those they were spongy but somewhat whiter the lungs and heart were sound at the bottom of the stomach appeared an inflammation which increased as it extended to the intestines the ileum looked of that dark and livid hue which is observed in membranous parts tending to mortification the colon was not above an inch in diameter the rectum was smaller still but both appeared sound from these appearances we were at no loss to fix the cause of this gradual palsy in the alteration of the medulla spinalis and oblongata dr bellet observes the following explanation of these changes i conceive that by this accident the head being violently bent to the right the nervous membranes on the left were excessively stretched and irritated that this cause extended by degrees to the spinal marrow which being thereby compressed brought on the paralytic symptoms not only of the left arm but at last in some measure also of the right this induration seemed to have been occasioned by the constant afflux of the nutritive juices which were stopped at that place and deprived of most liquid parts the grosser ones being unable to spread in the bony cavity by which they were confined could only acquire a greater solidity and change a soft body into a hard and nearly osseous mass this likewise accounts for the increase of the medulla oblongata which was being loaded with more juices than it could send off swelled in the same manner as the branches of trees which will grow of a monstrous size when the sap that runs into them is stopped in its progress the medulla oblongata not growing so hard as the spinalis was doubtless owing to its not being confined in an osseous theca but surrounded with soft parts which allowed it room to spread the obstruction from the bulk of this substance must have affected the brain and probably induced the thickening of the pehem mater the hydatids and the beginning of separation whereas the dorum mater being of a harder texture was not injured in some of the symptoms which appeared in this case an agreement is observable between it and those cases which are mentioned in the beginning of these pages the weakened state of both arms the power first lessening in one arm and then in a similar manner in the other arm the affection of the speech the difficulty in chewing and in swallowing as well as of retaining or freely discharging the spittle the convulsive motions of the body and the unimpaired state of the intellects constitute such a degree of accordance as although it may not mark an identity of disease serves at least to show that nearly the same parts were the seat of the disease in both instances thus we attain something like confirmation of the supposed proximate cause and of the assumed occasional causes whilst conjecturing as to the cause of this disease the following collected observations on the effects of injury to the medulla spinalis by sir everett home become particularly deserving of attention it thence appears that none of the characteristic symptoms of this malady are produced by compression laceration or complete division of the medulla spinalis pressure upon the medulla spinalis of the neck by coagulated blood produced paralytic affections of the arms and legs all the functions of the internal organs were carried on for thirty-five days but the urine and stools passed involuntarily blood extravastated in the central part of the medulla and the neck was attended with paralytic affection of the legs but not of the arms 
in a case where the substance of the medulla was lacerated in the neck there was a paralysis in all the parts below the laceration the lining of the esophagus was so sensible that solids could not be swallowed on account of the pain they occasioned when the medulla of the back was completely divided there was momentary loss of sight loss of memory for fifteen minutes and permanent insensibility in all the lower parts of the body the skin above the division of the spinal marrow perspired that below did not the wounded spinal marrow appeared to be extremely sensible in two of the cases already noticed symptoms of rheumatism had previously existed and in case four the right arm in which the palpitation began was said to have been very violently affected with rheumatic pain to the finger ends the consideration of this case in which the palpitation had been preceded at a considerable distance of time by this painful affection of the arm led to the supposition that this latter circumstance might be the cause of the palpitations and the other subsequent symptoms of this disease this supposition naturally occasioned the attention to be eagerly fixed on the following case and of course influenced the mode of treatment which was adopted a b subject to rheumatic affection of the deltoid muscle had felt the usual inconveniences from it for two or three days but at night found the pain had extended down the arm along the inside of the forearm and on the sides of the fingers which a continual tingling was felt the pain without being extremely intense was such as effectually to prevent sleep and seemed to follow the course of the brachial nerve whilst ascertaining the propriety of this conclusion the pain was found to ramify as it were on the fore and back part of the chest and was slightly augmented by drawing a deep breath these circumstances suggested the probability of slight information or increased determination to the origin of the nerves of those parts and to the neighboring medulla on this ground blood was taken from the back part of the neck by cupping hot fomentations were applied for about the space of an hour when the upper part of the back of the neck was covered with a blister perspiration was freely induced by two or three small doses of antimonials and the following morning the bowels were evacuated by an appropriate dose of calomel on the following day the pains were much diminished and in the course of four or five days were quite removed the arm and hand felt now more than ordinarily heavy and were evidently much weakened aching and feeling extremely wearied after the least exercise the strength of the arm was not completely recovered at the end of more than twelve months and after more than twice that time exertion would excite the feeling of painful weariness but no palpitation or other unpleasant symptom has occurred during the five or six years which have since passed the commencement progress and termination of this attack with the success attending the mode of treatment and the symptoms which followed seemed to lead to the conjecture that the proximate cause of the disease in this case existed in the medulla spinalis and that it might have neglected have gradually resolved itself into that disease which is the object of our present inquiry some few months after the occurrence of the preceding case the writer of these lines was called to a female about forty years of age complaining of great pain in both the arms extending from the shoulder to the finger-tips she stated that she was attacked in the same manner as is described in the preceding case about nine months before that the complaint was considered as rheumatism and was not benefited by any of the medicines which had been employed but that after three or four weeks it gradually amended 
leaving both the arms and hands in a very weakened and trembling state from this state they were now somewhat recovered but she was extremely anxious fearing that if the present attack should not be soon checked she might entirely lose the use of her hands and arms instructed by the preceding case similar means were here recommended leeches stimulating fomentations in a blister which was made for some time to yield a purulent discharge were applied over the cervical vertebrae and in the course of a very few days the pain was entirely removed it is regretted that no farther information as to the progress of this case could be obtained on meeting with these two cases it was thought that it might not be improbable that attacks of this kind considered at the time merely as rheumatic affections might lay the foundation of this lamentable disease which might manifest itself at some distant period when the circumstance in which it had originated had perhaps almost escaped the memory indeed when it is considered that neither in the extraordinary case of palsy of the lower extremities proceeding from diseased spine nor in cases of injured medulla from fractured vertebrae any of the peculiar symptoms of this disease are observable we necessarily doubt as to the probability of its being the direct effect of any sudden injury but taking all circumstances in due consideration particularly the very gradual manner in which the disease commences and proceeds in its attacks as well as the inability to ascribe its origin to any more obvious cause we are led to seek for it in some slow morbid change in the structure of the medulla or its investing membranes or theca occasioned by simple inflammation or rheumatic or scrofulous affection it must be too obvious that the evidence adduced as to the nature of the proximate and occasional causes of this disease is by no means conclusive a reference to the test therefore which will be yielded by an examination of some of the more prominent symptoms especially as to their agreement with the supposed proximate cause is more particularly demanded satisfied as to the importance of this part of the present undertaking no apology is offered for the extent to which the examination is carried on if the palpitation and the attendant weakness of the limbs etc be considered as to the order in which the several parts are attacked it is believed that some confirmation will be obtained of the opinion which has just been offered respecting the cause or at least the seat of that change which may be considered as the proximate cause of this disease one of the arms in all the cases which have been here mentioned has been the part in which these symptoms have been first noticed the legs head and trunk have then become gradually affected and lastly the muscles of the mouth and fauces have yielded to the morbid influence the arms the parts first manifesting disordered action of course direct us whilst searching for the cause of these changes to the brachial nerves by finding the mischief extending to other parts not supplied with these but with other nerves derived from nearly the same part of the medulla spinalis we are of course led to consider that portion of the medulla spinalis itself from which these nerves are derived as the part in which those changes have taken place which constitute the proximate cause of this disease from the subsequent affection of the lower extremities and from the failure of power in the muscles of the trunk such a change in the substance of the medulla spinalis may be inferred as shall have considerably interrupted and interfered with the extension of the nervous influence to those parts 
whose nerves are derived from any portion of the medulla below the part which has undergone the diseased change the difficulty in supporting the trunk erect as well as the propensity to the adopting of a hurried pace is also referable to such a diminution of the nervous power in the extensor muscles of the head and neck as prevents them from performing the offices of maintaining the head and body in an erect position from the impediment to speech the difficulty in mastication and swallowing the inability to retain or freely to eject the saliva may with propriety be inferred an extension of the morbid changes upwards through the medulla spinalis to the medulla oblongata necessarily impairing the powers of the several nerves derived from that portion into which the morbid change may have reached in the last occurrence of this set of symptoms the extension upwards of the diseased state a very close agreement is observable between this disease and that which has been already shown proved fatal to the count de lorat but in this case the disease doubtlessly became differently modified and its symptoms considerably accelerated in consequence of the magnitude of the injury by which the disease was induced End of chapter four